Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church Newburn Podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky, and I am one of your hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Anna. Hey, Anna. Hey, welcome home. I feel weird. Yesterday, I got back from California. California? I went to visit some friends in the Coachella Valley, and we hiked, and we did all the deserty things you could do. Um, it's an amazing place. I went to church on Easter. I thought of you. Really? I went to a sunrise service at a Catholic church that was r- directly behind my friend's house. And so I got dressed up and walked in the dark and there was tons of people there. And cool. and they had windows that overlooked snowy mountains and palm trees in the foreground nice. as the sun rose during the service. And I don't know if we've ever done it here in Presbyterian land, but at, he, they sort of celebrated baptism during the yes. service, and they had some olive branches mm-hmm. with like leaves or something, and they dipped it in a big bowl of water, and they were going around and like, yeah, like so, like renewal of baptismal vows. Yeah, can we do that? We can, and Easter is also a traditional time when people who have prepared to join the church would be baptized. You would go through a whole year of preparation to join the church. You wouldn't go to the whole service. You'd be in classes. And then Easter, like after the Easter vigils, when you would join. So yeah, this, that is very traditional. Yeah, this church was pretty serious. It had a nunnery in the back. Mm-hmm. Like there were nuns about the place. And they have actually had mass every morning at 745 always. Sweet. And then that sunrise, th- there was like 6 a.m., 7.30 a.m., 8.30 a.m., 11. It was just like went nonstop. Uh, yes. Some in Latin, some mm-hmm. in Spanish, uh, some in English. So, uh, yeah. So I was editing. I did it, some editing of our pre-recorded service, mm-hmm. and then I headed over to real church. So yeah, Easter was, I mean, I'm glad you had a good time. We had a great day here. It was all indoors because of the weather, but we it was just joyful and celebratory and and just Easter. So uh, today's sermon that you're going to hear right after this uh, has a lot of Thomas in it. Yes. Uh, and then there was also, you had a call to action to the congregation, right, to, to ask questions like Thomas did in the sermon? Yes, because it's a really fascinating thing. Jesus does not diminish Thomas for having questions. And so if it's okay to have questions, um, to be wondering. So we had index cards in the bulletin, and you'll see in the video sermon I referenced them, so in the podcast you'll hear. But I want to know what people's questions are, questions about faith, things that they wrestle with, things they struggle with. Um, we had baskets out today. People could put the index cards in them, but it's not. You can give them to me at any time. It can be anonymous. You can put your name on it. But I thought it might be a sermon series where I answer people's questions, or it might just help me understand better where people are and the things that they wrestle with, um, because I, I think that's where God meets us. So I'd like to know where people are struggling and wrestling with their faith or wondering. It I, I maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but it felt like a, it feels like a Presbyterian thing here in this congregation with you and with Marin before and with Eddie that like this um, questioning mm-hmm. is okay kind of thing. Obviously, it's in the Bible, right? Yes. But um, I don't know. I just feel like it's drawn upon more here, and I like that because because it. Um, I think you kind of talk about it in the sermon about you know. I'm paraphrasing, but like your faith is strong. If your faith is strong, that's great. Then you welcome yeah. these questions, right? It's not like these questions are breaking down, right? Uh, the and faith. That Jesus meets, goes to the disciples before they believe. I mean, Jesus goes to Thomas while Thomas doesn't yet believe. So you don't have to believe. And in, in fact, sometimes I think I talk about it so much. 
I want to have a sermon like, it's also okay to believe. Because I also know people who have that spiritual gift of faith, and it's a deep and it's a trusting faith. I, I tend to wrestle with everything. But there are people who have that spiritual gift, and they just believe, and that's okay too. Also in the sermon, you reference David Sedaris? Yes, I tell a story he told in a show that I went to a few years ago. And I struck a chord with me because um, he, among all the things he does, I'm sure he does a lot of things. He does a lot of things. Uh, but he also is a litter picker like me. And mm-hmm. so he picks litter um, in his neighborhood and wherever he goes. And he has a quote that I like with, I don't have any tattoos, but I would tattoo this on me. <laughs> but um, it says, uh, his quote is, it's bad for the spirit to walk through filth. So, and as you podcast, regular podcasters know, I commute a lot. So I drive yes. through a lot of filth, unfortunately, and my, my spirit is crushed. So, <laughs> but it helps to pick litter. It makes me feel better. Yeah. When I go hiking, I often have, you know, make sure I tr- take an extra bag because you always find little bits of trash. And, um, and then you also know that inevitably, accidentally, you leave something that you didn't mean to. So you hope someone else will pick that up. And then if we all pick it up, it's good. Well, we got to wrap things up here because we're getting ready for our Rothermel presentation yes. today or yesterday if you're listening to this right away. And then also we have a lot of work to do this week because the, the live streaming camera yes. equipment has been installed. And so now exciting. we just have to figure out how to use it. Right. And hopefully in a couple of weeks. I mean, I don't think it's hopefully. I think we are saying the 30th. Whether it crashes and burns or right. not, the yes. 30th is going to be live streamed the... Um, 11 o'clock worship service. 11 Mm -hmm. o'clock worship service. I will be here back in my little booth calling the shots. Right. They're joysticks. It's just like Atari video game. Yeah. It's going to be be fantastic. I did tell people today that the cameras are not so specific that they will catch people sleeping. We will not be zooming Mm. in on anybody. Bloopers. Um, Bloopers. (laughs) But no, it's really exciting. So, I mean, I really think it'll increase... People being a part of our community who cannot be in the sanctuary, I want them to feel a part of this community, and I think it's going to be a strength. Yeah, and the way it's set up is, for now at least, that we'll be streaming to our YouTube page where we've been putting stuff regularly, and then it will remain there. Uh, right. We're also planning to, you can just go to our website and just, right. um, but we're still working out some of those details. But yes, if you can't be here, if you can't be on the YouTube channel at 11 o'clock, it will then go up on our YouTube channel like it does now. So it, it'll still stick around. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, we hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Paul Scott. Let us pray. Great God of this moment and all moments, it is the week after Easter Day. It is still the Easter season and we are trying to wrap our minds and our hearts around all that has happened as we think about the disciples who were doing that with Jesus, with each other. Open up your word to us that we might understand not only what was, but is and what will be. We ask it in your name. Amen. And today we have the reading that is the traditional reading for the second Sunday of the Easter season from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend a performance of author David Sedaris. And in that performance, he told a story about his sister, Lisa, that I've never forgotten. He told us that his sister, Lisa, had to have her refrigerated repaired. And to her credit, or maybe not to her credit, she told her brother this story. Maybe she did not realize he would tell thousands upon thousands of people. But she said that when the repair person arrived, she didn't really trust him to be in her kitchen alone. So she stayed with him in the kitchen, making small talk with him while he worked. At some point, she had run out of small talk things to say, so she decided to make a phone call. She picked up her phone from the counter to make a call, but as she did, she got such a withering look from the repairman that she put the phone back on the counter. A few minutes later, she decided that it was silly to let a repair person decide whether or not she made a phone call. And so she gathered up her courage and she got the phone off the counter and she started to, to dial. Only once again, she got a look from the repair person that was so sharp, she put the phone down and she decided she would just have to wait. And wait she did. The repair person finished his work. She paid him, she got the receipt, and put it along with her phone in her pocket and walked to the door. He walked to the door with her, and as he got ready to walk out, he turned back and he said, May I have my phone back now? It only took her a split second to realize what had happened, why he had scowled at her when she had tried to make a phone call, why he had looked at her so oddly. She hadn't been picking up her own phone at all. It had been his phone the whole time. She thought he was the one who needed to be watched, but it turns out it was her. She was the one who was trying to take his phone. Sometimes we get so caught up in one particular narrative, one particular way of seeing things, that we forget that the my story might be completely different if we just take a moment to step back 
and look at things through new eyes. We forget that there might be an entirely different explanation than the one we assume to be true. The story of Thomas is like that. For most of my life, I've thought about the story of Thomas with one particular lens. Thomas doesn't believe, Thomas doubts, Thomas demands that Jesus show him his wounds, and then Thomas believes. And Jesus reminds him that we shouldn't have to see to believe. But there are some problems with that interpretation, only in part because the text doesn't actually include a word for doubt. That's not actually a word that should be translated there if you want to understand it more completely. It singles out Thomas as an unbeliever if you use that word doubt, when in fact, that's not really how he is described. Thomas is the last one to have an encounter with Jesus. And we need to remember that all of the others who believe have already seen Jesus. Thomas only wants what everyone else has had. It's not as though none of them have seen and some of them have believed. All of them have needed some sort of proof and yet we don't call all of them doubters. Doubt in this passage is probably better understood as do not become unbelieving, but believing. But this happens with most of those who are following Jesus after the Easter morning. You have the women who are at the tomb, you have the angels, you have those who think that Jesus is the gardener. Then when you go to tell the disciples about Jesus, they are told this is just an idle tale. The disciples don't believe the women who have to be convinced by Jesus. It just keeps going. Even in the Gospel of John, when we're told that two of the disciples run to the tomb and believe that Jesus, not that he has been raised, but that he is missing, have apparently let go of that belief because when we enter in chapter 20, even though they've had that moment in the tomb where they understand anew, when we get here to chapter 20, where are all of the disciples? They're in the room where they had been before. They are hiding. They are behind locked door. No matter what revelations they have had on Easter morning, they have not taken hold and they are hiding. They are scared. They are fearful. No matter how many times they have been told to fear not, no matter what they may have believed in the moment, they have fallen back into unbelief. They are hiding. They are scared. And we're told that they're hiding for fear of the Jews, John writes. Jewish authorities. You can also translate it here as Judeans. Now we need to be careful about that and we need to say a few things about that because we need to establish that this gospel was not written at the time of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It was written at least a generation later when the faithful landscape was very different. The early Christian community was trying to differentiate itself from its family of origin and in trying to do so was creating some points of separation. One of the ways some of the early writers did this was to write negatively about the mothers and fathers of their faith. And because they did that, Judaism is still suffering because of the choices some of these early writers made. One of my seminary classmates, Paul Rauschenbusch, wrote an article a few years ago, and I agree with him when he said, ignorant or willful misunderstanding of the death of Jesus has led to horrible oppression of Jewish people over the last 2,000 years. We can't protect, 
pretend that texts like these, like the one I read this morning from the Gospel of John, don't exist. But we can explain why it is impermissible and a betrayal of Jesus to use these texts to continue the horribly anti-Jewish sentiment that has plagued Christianity. In other words, we can use these texts still, but we always need to qualify when it says something about the Jews, who these writers are talking about, and that they did not intend this to be anti-Semitic, that it was intended to be an inner family squabble. But we can also not deny that these words have been used as anti-Semitism fuel for generations. I want to be clear about this because anti-Semitism is not a thing of the past. And many throughout the generations have used words like the ones in the Gospel of John to defend the indefensible. In fact, just last month, a report was released by the Anti-Defamation League that reveals that anti-Semitic incidents have increased 36% in 2022 and that is the highest recorded increase since 1979. Now, had the gospel writers realized the full impact of their words, would they have written them differently? I hope so. But we must include, when we read words like these from the Gospel of John, by stating clearly that the Jews did not kill Jesus. Rome did. Authority did. Oppression did. Hate did. We did. To say differently not only clouds the truth, it encourages some of the worst impulses of our world. And so when the disciples are hiding in the upper room, they are hiding from fear, they are hiding from hate, they are hiding from the things that have sought to destroy all people in all generations. The second thing we notice about the disciples being in hiding when Jesus comes to them it is clear, though, even though they have heard rumors about Jesus' resurrection, they've not believed it. They are in hiding. The word used for belief here isn't referring to an intellectual exercise. It's about action. Belief isn't a verb in these verses. It's an adjective. I want to rephrase that. I said that wrong. Belief is not an adjective here. It's a verb. It's something that is lived out. And by their very action of being in this locked room, the disciples are not living out their belief. They are not doing what this word describes. And it's when Jesus appears to them that they really believe. Jesus instructs them on their new life. He sends them the Holy Spirit and their lives do change. They are no longer followers, they are leaders, and their future is different. We know it is different because we see what happens in the Acts of the Apostles. We see how the church grows and thrives. It is because these followers overcome their fears and they become true believers and live out their faith. So those are some things to notice about the disciples being in the upper room. But what about Thomas? Where was Thomas? Had he gone out to get a snack and just missed Jesus' first visit with the disciples? We don't know. But what we do know is that the verbs in the sentence may be indicative that Thomas wasn't merely absent. It's possible he had departed from the group. Was he simply brokenhearted because of Jesus' death? Was he frustrated that revolution seemed no closer after Jesus' death and what happened after his death? We don't know. 
We don't know why Thomas was not a part of the group. But what we do know is that the disciples don't let him go. They tell him that Jesus has appeared. They are not willing to let Thomas depart from them. They hold on to him. It is a fierce sense of community that holds together even though they might see things differently. And they don't require that he believe to allow him back into that room. They don't say, look, we've seen Jesus, we believe. If you believe, you can come back and join us. There is no requirement. They welcome Thomas back. I think this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. They invite Thomas back, not based on what Thomas believes, but what they believe about the love of Jesus and how the love of Jesus is all welcoming and all inclusive. It's when they're back together again that Jesus does appear another time. Locked doors are not a hindrance. Jesus immediately shows Thomas the wounds in his hands and his side. And Thomas finally has what everyone else has received. And he proclaims his faith. He proclaims, my Lord and my God. It is a profession of faith that not everyone issues in the Gospels. It is unique. It is significant. Whenever it happens, it is worth taking note. And to this, Jesus responds with a blessing, along with a blessing for those who believe without having seen. But he does so beautifully in a way that doesn't minimize Thomas. He's not negating what Thomas has done. He is only inviting and encouraging us. Blessed are those who believe. And blessed are those who come to believe because their family brought them to church. Blessed are those who come to believe because they hit rock bottom and they met Jesus there. Blessed are those who believe even though they have been wrongly told that Jesus doesn't believe in them. Blessed are those who left the church for a little while but came back when they had children. Blessed are those who realize that they're 32 years old and they want more. They want more of a substantial faith. They want to know more about something that is bigger than themselves. Blessed is the teenager who isn't at all sure about what they believe, but they show up anyway. Blessed are those who believe. One belief is not better than another. And they welcome Thomas because they believe, not because they require him to do so. The language of belief in John is powerful because it speaks of so much more than what we think. It's about how we trust, what we trust, knowing that our life and our breath are not ours alone, but a gift from the God who created us. Leaning on the everlasting arms aren't just the words to a hymn, they are a way of life. And when we see it this way, when we're able to look at it this way, it's not our phone that we've been holding. Thomas isn't the doubter. Thomas is just the last one to show up at the party. Thomas is a believer. And if anything, maybe he deserves a little more credit rather than less because he speaks up and uses his mind and admits and admits when he cannot be in the room and when he can. And being able to reverse course and change his mind, maybe he deserves more credit and not less. Because we all get into ruts, we all get into routines, we all get into patterns in life and in faith and in relationships. 
Maybe Thomas here is neither an example of what to follow or what not to follow. Maybe Thomas is here to remind us that the gospel is truly the gospel when it forces us to see things in a new way, to step out of our routines and patterns and allow God to set the agenda, to ask questions about what we see and what we think we see, about what we believe and what we wonder. Maybe Thomas is here to remind us that we should ask our questions. To that end, and because this is Thomas Sunday, in worship this morning, each bulletin contains an index card. And I'm inviting every person to write a question. Thomas was willing to ask his question of faith. What questions do you have? What question do you have about your faith or hope or doubt or God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit or the church? What question do you wrestle with? What question are you curious about? If you're watching this video, I hope that you will feel comfortable writing your question down and maybe emailing it or dropping it by the church. In worship today, I'm going to ask people to put them on the cards and then either to give them to me after worship or place them in the offering plate. They can have names attached or they can be anonymous. But I want you to think about what questions do you have? How can you learn from what Thomas did in being honest? One of the things that's clear in today's text is that Jesus is not offended by the questions. Jesus isn't troubled by the doubt. And that's true for you too. It's all in how we see things. It's all in how we are open to a new vision of life. In what we see and how we are seen that we understand resurrection and the good news. A few years ago on the public radio program, This American Life, they told the story of a small community in California that was in the middle of some of the horrible, horrible wildfires. The community was called Helltown. And the program reported that as the fire started on the first day of that catastrophic, what later came to be known as the Paradise Fire, some residents of the Helltown community were on a ridge looking down at their community, trying to figure out what to do, wondering if they would lose their homes when they saw someone driving through the town. It was a small car, so they recognized the car, and they called to the driver. It was an off-duty volunteer firefighter who decided not to give up on their community. He decided unwisely to stay and fight, and they decided to join him. For almost 24 hours, they waged a nonstop physical fight against fires threatening their community. They used shovels and branches and chainsaws and kayak paddles. It was, they said, like whack-a-mole, sometimes having to go back three or four times to save the same spot from fires again. And the whole time they were doing this, they thought, we just need to hang on until the professionals get here. For surely the fire trucks are coming. Surely they're on their way except for the professionals didn't arrive. The fire trucks didn't make their way. And the friends couldn't figure out why. There was no cell service. They couldn't figure out what was going on. And they couldn't figure out why no one was there, why nobody had come. Had they been forgotten? Did nobody care about their community? For almost 24 hours they did this until they finally could do no more. And they got a ride out. Helltown, the host tells us, is less than four miles from paradise, which burned to the ground. 
These residents of Helltown spent the whole exhausting night imagining and guessing that they'd been overlooked. When they drove out, they saw the truth. They hadn't been overlooked. They'd been spared. They hadn't been overlooked. They had been spared by the fire. Thomas gives us new glasses, a new pair of glasses through which to see the world, one in which we are encouraged to ask questions and look for Jesus and to want to meet Jesus and to consider where we might be called to see what we have and how we might believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas says, it starts with a question and it ends with faith. May these words be our testimony, the testimony of our mouths and the testimony of our lives. Amen. my Lord and my God. Friends, let us go out into the world in faith, with hope, and knowing God shares with us love and invites us to share that one to another. Alleluia. Amen. <laughs>